Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What is happening, good people? Hopefully you're here to have a beer with Tony Greer. I just cracked one myself. Um, I had the first question, actually. We're going to get right to it. Trillion X coming in asking, what kind of beer did you bring? Asahi, Stella, Belgian, Trappist, or Chimay. Um, my new motto, uh, since Anheuser-Busch came out with the new cans with the insane people on them, I'm going with Peroni only. So that's what I'm drinking nowadays. And cheers to everyone that showed up today, especially if you have a cocktail also. Um, let's keep this in uh, front of me. I got to be careful and follow the rules this time because I kind of punted that a little bit. The first question that came in was about uranium. And while I think that it is a lovely idea right now, I can think of a thousand better places probably to put my money. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later. Um, I just want to make sure that I get to a couple things here. Caleb Reese. Okay, I've got a Real Vision guy calling in. Um, any thoughts on the surprise Saudi cut? Great question. Here we go. Let's get involved. In your opinion, is it an F you to Biden admin or are they actually forecasting weak demand for the rest of 2023? Well, we already saw the fist bump out at the curb at Riyadh, right, that kind of gave us the idea that Mohammed bin Salman was none too impressed with President Joe Biden or any of his antics. So um, it just came out, you know, in factually in the news, I think this morning that he was no longer interested in pleasing the United States. So there's a little shot to the jaw there. Um, you know, that 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 is going to continue to happen by that, you know, group um, that's breaking away and starting their own commodity exchanges and currencies. And, you know, who I'm talking about I'm talking about um, Russia, China, um, Brazil now, Saudi Arabia, Syria. Um, there's a number of other countries involved in that. So they're, they're also a feisty group as well. So they are going to continue to flip Joe Biden the bird in that way. What do I think about the cut, though? Uh, most importantly, you know, it kind of it kind of counterbalances a couple of things. Yeah. And what it probably does is keep oil from sliding any further um, into the 60s, quite honestly. So, you know, the 500,000 barrels from Saudi Arabia, the 1.6 million barrels a day in total from the OPEC plus group. Um, you know, a lot of that is to counter, you know, Russian sanctioned oil that has come off the market, um, things like that. So I think that it's going to be a net positive for oil. I'm actually really impressed by the price action, by the way. You know, it came in, you know, it opened up at, uh, you know, 79 and three quarters, $80 after the news and really only traded to a low of 79 bucks where it looks like there was a bid because it bounced off the price quite a bit. Um, so it looks like people are still willing to either one, get out at this price or two, potentially add to their positions. The uh, open interest in oil is kind of low, but climbing, uh, historically low, but climbing a little bit with this move. So we'll see if that continues. And I think it can. There's probably a lot of firepower that can actually come into the energy markets, especially since everybody just got rinsed out on the downside when that range broke on the Silicon Valley Bank news in the first week of March. So it spent two weeks below the $70 range, came right back up above it. Um, if the Saudis were smart, they might have thrown some chatter out there and given some funds a chance to get long because then you've got like happy participants in the market. Um, it looks like they were more interested in doing a um, Jamal Khashoggi job on the short positions out there. 
um, and really just go after him and not have anything else in between. So we'll see how we go forward. But I think we are going to continue to see, um, you know, pressure like that that keeps the oil price afloat. I'm sure that they see some kind of, you know, economic weakness that um, seems like it's going to be happening here in the U.S. at some scale, you know, with tons of layoffs all the time in the tape. So we'll see how it all pans out. So there's a lot to unpack. I don't want to spend the whole night on that one question, but I got us off to a good start there um, to cover the major points. Um, should I buy a thoroughbred? Yes, definitely, Jules Verne. I like the idea. Um, nothing to fear. Tony Greer is here. That is amazing. Uh, okay, who else have we got here? What is my target on WTI? Well, I, you know, just to go back right into this trade, because that brings up another good question. I mean, I don't really know what kind of target to have on WTI right now, especially after that headline. The fact that it's holding $81, we're up at the top of the range here. There's a big range top at 83. So my guess is, is that we're going to work all the shorts out of the positions here. We might have a couple of guys come in and get long, and then the price is going to pull back. Um, to something like, you know, the mid to low 70s and then bounce again. So uh, the way I approached this trade and this headline was that I made sales in almost everything uh, across the board, you know, selling refiners into new highs for the move, like Marathon Petroleum, um, trading out of the last of my oil position that I had. I mean, that was a get out of jail free card. Um, so I took it. And I think that's the way you have to trade this nonlinear chaotic market. You know, I have in my mind that the curve is still minus 50 basis points, give or take, and uh, two's tens curve in bonds. And that means that there are some kind of snowballs that are going to get through the economic window. Um, we just had a significant move lower in rates today. There was a 15 basis point slide after, um, I guess, factory orders and durable goods orders were the kind of straw that broke the economic camel's bank this week. Uh, yesterday, we saw ISM data kind of weak across the board. Then today, you came in at 10 o'clock, we had weaker factory orders, and the bond market just said, we'll have those. Um, yields went lower. We saw two-year yields drop from 4 to 385, and that was a pretty significant move. Um, same amount, of, uh, about 12 basis points lower in the 10-year as well. I think that move lends itself to one of Cuppy's trades now that I see his name going across the street. I think the builders might wake up on lower yields. So let's keep going. Um, RS, FTGC commodity fund. Uh, I don't know that one. Indian equity market, Himanshu. With all due respect, my friend, there are so many opportunities in the United States equity market and in the uh, global commodity markets that I have at my fingertips. I have not looked beyond any of those. I try to stay focused. I try not to have more than six or seven, maybe eight positions on my pad at once. And I have no idea what's going on in Indian equities, but cheers to you guys that are navigating that market. Um, what are we thinking about gold well, gold and silver? Oh, this is a good one. Daryl Densmore, I'm gonna come back to the silver question. Daryl Densmore, are pot stocks dead? Oh man. What is going on in the cannabis market is throwing the baby out with the bathwater and then some. And I can't say that the waterfall is going to end anytime soon because they are correlated to precisely nothing right now. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what market, what the S&P is doing, for the love of God. Um, cannabis stocks have been making a new low almost weekly, monthly and quarterly for, you know, like a couple of years now. and I would say at some point we're going to trade through their value level and they'll finally find a floor, but I think it might be hinging on the Safe Banking Act and until the market gets a real appetite for them, like an actual hedge fund bid with you know, the idea that they're going to get um, better options and in banking, if Safe Banking gets passed, maybe that makes them come alive. But right now the trend is down and I can't touch them with a 10-foot pole. We always joke around in my Slack channel that you can buy the entire sector for which you could buy a three pack of one and one half inch um, rollable cones. So not doing great the cannabis sector at all. Daryl, thank you uh, for that great question. Trillion X, uh, just next in line here. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Kenneth Natova, real vision guy, thought on natural gas bottom forming, man. 
he who picked bottoms come out with sticky finger, be very careful picking a bottom in natural gas of all commodities. You know, I mean, you can try it once or twice, but you know, you have to keep in mind that just because it's a $2 item doesn't mean that it can't get halved again. So that's a way that you have to approach that position. Right now, there seems like there's plenty of natural gas. It seems like there could be more on the way. And if the supply side keeps feeding the market like it is now, and there's no hiccups in mother nature, I ain't touching that trade with a 10 foot pole. In fact, I've already made an extremely painful donation to trying to pick a bottom there. So my money is done in the natural gas trade. Um, you can continue to hunt that one at your leisure and at your peril. Uh, yeah, is it time for contrarian UNG trade, Jake Weaver? I went. I just went through that, and uh, that one tends to get expensive. But yeah, eventually. I mean, I've seen natural gas go from two to ten about five, six times in my life. I'm sure it is not the last time. Um, you know, eventually there'll be a mother nature situation that soaks up all the supplies and tightens the spreads, and it becomes a positive carry trade. And every pile, everybody piles into it, and the positive flywheel goes on for months. And natural gas will go from two to ten again. Via what price? I have no idea. Let's keep rolling. Um, let's see what the next thing is. Carbon credits, Luis Martins, Real Vision. Oh, man, that's a tricky market. Um, I kind of took my eye off of that ball. You know, they rallied sharply for a long time, started consolidating, and I couldn't tell whether they were really, like, attached to, you know, what was whether they were correlated to what's going on in the oil markets, what's going on in the global economies or what was really driving them. So I kind of stepped away from them and haven't followed them closely. I still have a feeling that it is sort of one of those uh, built to rally vehicles where as the green movement continues to get legs in the corporate community and everyone signs up for it, there will be more and more people that have to, you know, hedge their carbon footprint with carbon credits and so there'll be a constant bid to it until there's not and i'm not really sure how to negotiate that um i have a much better edge in a couple of other markets i feel let's see uh paul english overview between a correlation of oil and that gas if there is i don't see one um you know obviously there's going to be some correlations between the amount of drills that go in the ground and and you know, who's drilling from what properties, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of trading them, you have to treat them like apples and oranges, 100%. Um, let me just keep ripping down here. Richard Dowdell, and then I'm going to scroll backwards. Thoughts on copper, silver ETFs? Yes. Um, those have been disappointing to everybody for a long time. Since we had that rally in the beginning of the year in copper, even with a weaker dollar, the price just hasn't had that like exciting giddy up feeling that it's had before when it's going to do something special, like when it was on its way to 11K. Um, there is still the story where inventories are super low, historically low going up against swimming upstream against the fact that we're pivoting toward a lot of electronic vehicles and electronic battery power, which are going to need massive, massive amounts of copper combined with the idea that the global economy is neither, you know, the, put it this way, China is 50% of copper consumption. So unless their economy is going to start hoofing, it's going to be tough for copper to get, you know, really moving anywhere. And you can see, I feel like you can see the wish wash of funds getting in and out lately and getting washed around a little bit as it blasts through moving averages and you see weird kinds of uh, volume moves. Um, so I think that, that it's a dangerous place to play. And so is silver, by the way, you know, silver is the one is another, um, commodity that's in that's uh popular in my chat and guys love to be bullish and long silver and like it is it is literally a rich man's casino and you can play in that casino you're absolutely welcome to i i've been in that casino up to my neck um and i've been in some unpleasant positions in that casino while running a silver book on um a trading desk and 
there if I've just had so many personal unpleasant experiences with it that I really don't trade it. I kind of sit and spectate. And I do have a smug ass chuckle when it goes up a nickel for three weeks in a row and then goes down a dollar in the same in one day and everybody gets washed out because nobody sold anything. So, you know, I think that that's how I'll continue to look at silver is stay away. Copper, I'm in the weeds looking for a catalyst, an opportunity, performance, exciting price action, any of the things that draw me into big commodity trades. So let's keep ask, answering questions. Are you increasing your cash holdings? Dave Styles, Real Vision Finance. This is a really good question. Um, I like this question because it's a common denominator. Um, a cash holdings thing is a common denominator. I had a client dinner um, in New York City and we had a great group of guys. And what was amazing was that at different times, everybody told stories about sort of they and people in their business community all taking advantage of all interest rates over 4% and socking wads of money away for a long time at that rate. You know, a lot of people have been beat up in the markets and a lot of people, you know, maybe don't have strong views about where to put them right now, um, where to put their money right now because things are really dangerous, volatile and nonlinear. So I find it interesting that everybody is increasing their cash holdings. I know I, I have, and I thought it was funny that every single one of the people at my dinner had, and they also had, like I said, anecdotal professional stories where that was the way the train was moving, you know, people that are in wealth management and at private banks and things like that. So that was a really, really interesting uh, thing. What it leads me to believe is that there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, right, to buy stocks. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Gordon Pearson. Yes, what a great question, Gordon. Marathon Petroleum. This one is priceless because I've lived this a thousand times in this rally. Gordon Pearson, any specific reason why Marathon Petroleum was slammed today compared to its peers? And I love that because I used to wonder myself when I was a rookie at refinery trading in the markets. And <laughs> this is so classic. On a day like today, you know, you'll see Marathon Petroleum have a it's got to be a major move yeah yeah a three and a half sigma seven percent move lower today right this is the greatest lesson in the world i mean we could do an entire we could do a keg of beer with tony greer on this question right here gordon so marathon petroleum the reason that it had that slide today is because yesterday it opened up let me just get this chart in front of me because this is poetic justice. I was making sales yesterday and I'm not tooting my horn. I was publicly making sales. I'm on Twitter timestamp. Josh Young asked me, what are you doing on the Saudi news like on Twitter? And I was like, I'm selling stuff right, right into the energy rally. So Marathon Petroleum is something that I have had on my view matrix that I've been bullish. Um, that's one of the stocks that I bought in the lockdown puke and out of the lockdown puke. And I have Marathon Petroleum shares ready to go for my grandkids when they're born. And um, the move yesterday was simply, Marathon Petroleum has been trading beautifully because there's still portfolio managers that are adding this sucker to their portfolio. Why? Because the crack spread continues to hang in the 30 to 40 range on really positive gasoline demand. Right. So this is one of the reasons why in the year like last year, when the S&P is down 15 percent, stocks like Marathon are up 80 percent on the year. 
And it's because the functionality of their business model is ripping on all cylinders, that being the crack spread between 30 and $40, right? So that's three or four X their profit margin. The investment community that wants to play this from the long side understands that and is, you know, still getting into the position size that they would like to be in for Marathon Petroleum and Valero and Delic and some of the other big refiners that are operating now at these much higher margins. So the stock's been on a run. It opened at an all-time high yesterday, right? That is traditionally used to be for me something that I would just be high-fiving about. And at this stage of the game, I'm smart enough to know that if I'm high-fiving with one hand, that I'm also making sales with the other hand because the stock that's gapping open higher um, while oil is just trading up to the top of its range with massive resistance ahead is still a sale. And you might be a portfolio manager that got into that idea yesterday saying, oh yeah, this was a big, you know, outside reversal potential here. Let's go make sales into it and not have gotten enough off of the sales that you wanted to make in one session. So you came in today and said, yeah, that was the high for a little while, 138 in Marathon Petroleum, near 140. You know, come in today somewhere, sell it down to 130. I don't care. Take a piece off the books. And next thing you know, that's everybody's idea. And it's all the elephants through the keyhole. And, you know, down 7%, who gives a shit when you're selling the stock at 130? you know, 129, 130 that, you know, you haven't seen that level, you know, really trading. We got there in a little bit in the beginning of March, but that's been the high. So now what we're doing is distributing stock. We are um, feeding the new buyers and we're, you know, up at the highs yesterday um, where I'm proud to be on the tape to say, yeah, that's a, that's a, a portfolio sale right there. You can buy it back at cheaper levels. And that's what happens in Marathon Petroleum. Market of securities there are no headlines related to Marathon Petroleum today. There are people all over the place, but not here on Real Vision or YouTube, wondering what the hell happened to their Marathon Petroleum position. So <clears throat> going back up the chain here, John DeVentura, I've seen physical gold go up when the long end of the bond market yields drop. Okay, I got that. With higher for longer Fed funds rates above 5%, gold will continue to rise due to inflationary uncertainty. Um, put it this way, as long as there are uh, moves lower in yields, gold is going to continue to rally. That is what has been the correlation. It has somewhat been correlated with a weaker dollar, but most for most of the, I think, broadly speaking, it's fair to say that lower yields have been favorable for gold. And it looks like we have to get a test of that. Where wait, what top are we looking at? It was around 2200 or so. Um, just above where we are is that range top that it's got to bust out of. Um, and it's certainly on a beeline too. That level is about uh, 2070. So we're about 50 bucks away from a big breakout level in gold. It feels like if you're betting on yields going lower, which I am and the people on the navigator with me are, um, that's the way you're expecting gold to go straight up. So we got to test that level. Mark Brandel on TLT, making it look close to buyable. Does it go on a run here? The treasury market can rally. Yeah, you know, after the reversal that we saw from March 8th to March 13th, where two-year yields traded from 5.06% down to 4% in three sessions that was wrapped around a weekend. Remember, that was from when Powell spoke in front of Congress saying that the terminal high end would be uh, higher than investors thought. Um, in terms of fighting inflation, two-year yields ticked 506, reversed to 4% um, by the Monday morning after the Silicon Valley bank blow up on Thursday, which was the day after Powell. So when you see a reversal like that, it, you know, you kind of know that that's the end of that move for a while. You would, you know, it kind of go coincides with what looks like the change in rate cycles. Um, so yeah, you know, now you've got to bet on yields going lower. You've got to bet on Fed Fed's cutting rates, you know, around the turn here and make sure that your portfolio is positioned for all the things that are attributed to that, like, 
making sure that you get on the technology train this time and making sure that um, possibly being in the long bond trade, it, this looks like it's got room to run. So I do agree that that is a good spot. DK down 12% of the month. There's a buyer in default. Let me take a look at this one. Hang on. Dell has lagged. Uh, it had that episode a while back that knocked it below its moving averages. Yeah. You know, put it this way. Delic is not the one to chase from the bull side right now. I mean, you know, we, you can try to pick a spot technically and lean on that. But, you know, when you look at how that's underperforming, um, you know, Marathon and Valero, which are, you know, the trades that I hunt to keep it very simple. Um, the trades that I hunt look like the Valero and the Marathon Petroleum stock, where over a long period of time, they go from the lower left corner of the screen to the upper right corner of the screen. Um, and if you're paying attention to everything that's going on in the markets on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis, you will find things like that to trade. Um, the reason that you like to trade those things is because they give you a good probability, a chance of success when, you know, looking to upsize your long position into that rally, looking for a continuation of it or looking for it to hold the dip. Um, you know, those are that you'll learn over the years. You're paying close attention to, to names and trends like that are the ones that you make your year in. So I try not to take my eye off of the ball too much in the uh, refiner stocks right now. Um, Joe Amatuli, looking at any tech, any AI, great question. No, I am petrified of all of it. I'm not investing in it. I have a half an eyeball on, you know, the theme as an investment. Um, I was grateful to hear Elon Musk come out and say, let's put a hold on this. Um, just because I don't like where it's going, especially, you know, when you consider that the first chat GPT that came out, you know, was wildly biased already, you know, and you're like, you're like, okay, is this going to be another con job too? And, you know, a lot of it might be, I'm sure most of it isn't. Um, and I know that once the snowball gets rolling with AI that uh, I don't think you stop it. So I'm not sure that uh, we should let it go unchecked. So that's the only view I have on. I am not educated in the space. Um, I don't feel like I have much of an edge there. You know, it doesn't feel like funds. You know, there was something fun about investing in Apple um, when you could put your record collection on your phone, on your, you know, device. And, you know, something fun about investing in hardware companies and software companies and investing in, you know, finding the trends and stocks like Adobe and things like that and, and jumping on those for periods of time. But there's no fun for me in investing in AI. And, and it's not even like one of those things that's a hedge, right? Because it's not like, oh, I made money on the hedge, so I'll make it out of this AI thing alive. And it's like, no, you won't either way, you know, with, with or without all the money you have. So I think that that's kind of the way I look at it. And it may be completely um, not the right way of looking at it. I have no idea. Let's see what else we've got here. Does anybody have any general interest questions? Is anybody doing anything fun? Does anybody want to talk about music? I think we covered a lot of questions. Oh boy, here's a good one. Tito RX, do I keep my life savings in self-employed 401k with a dollar dying or cash in for gold, silver, Bitcoin? Wow. I mean, that's a heavy question right there. I mean, I'm not your wealth manager, Keto RX, so I apologize. Um, Guys, I really do uh, about that. Um, I think that you should diversify, if anything, so that you can sleep at night. You know, I mean, I, I've sort of only diversified a little bit to, you know, a physical metal portfolio that, you know, hopefully that can hand off for my deathbed to my kids one day um, without needing it. Um, but that's kind of just in case that that. But to me, that's a monetary hedge um, more than a trading position. And while we do have the trading position on now on the Navigator, simply drawn there by performance, um, I think that if you're talking about your life savings that, you know, if you have a little bit across the board and in percentages that you are comfortable with, jot it down on a legal pad, what you'd be comfortable with given, you know, prices, volatility, et cetera, et cetera. But I know that seemingly over time, a larger allocation of gold always would have benefited me more. So I, I kind of like to, 
look for, you know, Steve dips and buy. And I mean, just like everybody else, but meaning buy physical and, and add that to the, to the portfolio. So um, that's how I look at gold right now. And sort of as it relates to my sort of longer term life savings and things. So um, I think that a 401k is important because you have to have, you know, some allocation of bonds and equities. Um, Jared Dillian is probably a great resource for that as he is a, a master of personal investments and has helped me with a lot of things that I would have never had any, any clue about. Um, so that's just a plug for him there because he's really useful in that arena. And I think he's writing a book on uh, something like that. I don't know. Okay. How many beers will you drink? Neil Moy. Great question. Let's try to work on one. If you're going to do the beer theme, you've got to drink the beer for the love of God. Um, let's see if there are any new questions on here coming in. Ah, your favorite band from each decade of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now we're talking about shit. Um, let's go really quickly, though. Can you play? Oh, first, great question. Like, can you play Eruption? I'm rusty at it, but if you give me some time, I could probably get three quarters of it down and fool everybody. Um, your favorite band from each decade of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Wow, you know, I lose track. I have to say, well, my, I'll tell you right now, my favorite band from the 70s is going to have to be The Who because that's who I paid the most attention to as a single-digit kid. Um, I was, I had my older cousins that would play the Tommy album for me and tell me the story about the deaf, dumb, and blind kid that was a pinball wizard. And man, did that freak me out twist me around and, you know, have me wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, you know, some of the scenes in that, in that um, movie. So yeah, definitely the Who was a huge influence on me in the seventies, in the eighties, definitely that was Van Halen time. You know, I mean, I was full ass over tea kettle in love with Eddie Van Halen as a, you know, young teen and just absolutely floored by his guitar. I got to see him at a young age that my dad got me tickets to um, at Nassau Coliseum and at Madison Square Garden. Um, and I was never so blown away by anything. I've still never been blown away by anything um, like the original Van Halen shows that I got to see, of which there were five with David Lee Roth that I got to see as a kid. Definitely. Uh, so my favorite band of the 90s, by that time, it became the Grateful Dead, without question. I In college, I always got to know the Grateful Dead. When I went to college, I graduated in 90, and it was after I got out of college and, got, I guess, spent some more time going to shows and, and uh, registering more and more shows with what I really liked. And I got taken to the 10th row at Madison Square Garden. Um in front of Jerry Garcia by a currency broker um, that was still a friend of mine named Bobby Nowicki. And um, he stuffed my face full of mushrooms and we watched the entire dead show from there. And I have never seen anything like it to this day. And so that is why, you know, you continue to go back and see, I uh, got a lot of shows in with Jerry in the early nineties before he died. So that was my band. So that would be, the Who and then Van Halen and then Grateful Dead. So really typical stuff, I guess. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get into some other uh, questions, although that was the best part. Any chance we can trade out Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> That's amazing. The Who is great. Yep, horrible Who, I understand. Moon the Loon, Keith Moon, man. He, I was sad as hell the day he died. That hit me like a kick in the nuts. Uh, Austin Tacker, top best five. I believe it. I'm dying to get there, Austin. Oh, top best five to see a concert. Oh, me 
top five, uh, you know, it's got to be, uh, I mean, Red Rocks is really mind blowing. I, I've never seen anything like that physically structure wise. Um, <clears throat> that's a work of, <clears throat> of art. I just got to see three widespread panic shows there in the late nineties. And, um, that, that stands out like anything else, but you got to throw down, um, I saw fish at Hollywood bowl and I thought that was incredible. I really, really special spot. Um, the garden is like my favorite place to go see anybody. I get like more excited to see people at the garden because I see a lot of musicians show up at the garden. Like they never showed up anywhere before. Um, so that's definitely up there for me. The beacon theater is a special place for me, super small, super boutique and beautiful. And what a vibe in there, man, you know, for panic shows and, and, uh, Tedeschi trucks band and stuff like that, or the almonds. Um, and I'm sure there are many, many more. David Lee Roth, D Gardner definitely was the best front man of all time. Have you heard of Greta Van Fleet? Excellent band. Excellent band. Absolutely dig them. Um, saw the dead a few times, Pueblo beef calm. I like that. Uh, Hey, Tony bought the Marley turntable at the senior beer cast. Love it. The Bluetooth speak. Yeah, man, they're pretty good. It's a good setup. I like this setup myself. I play quite a bit IPA or lager Manas agar wall. Um, strictly lager guy. Um, after post COVID, I can't drink IPA. It all tastes like soap. And I literally, it's like COVID. I, before COVID, I had, a, I would literally have problems battling my weight because if I went out for beers, I drink like three or four IPAs and that's like seven days worth of calories. Um, and so I'm now on this side of COVID, since having had it, I have, it, it tastes like soap to me. So I'm back to all non Anheuser-Busch lager. <clears throat> I think it's dollar starts its descent down. Wait, let me just make sure I didn't miss any. Uh, yeah, I think the dollar starts to descent down even if just... Oh, yeah, I do. I don't think it's just on brick sentiment. I think it's on U.S. rates going lower. You know, the dollar has that phenomenon where as rates are going up, everybody is piling in to, you know, enjoy that risk-free treasury bond um, rate of, you know, we saw it up as 4% 4 and change. Um, on the way out is unfortunately going to be the reverse of that operation. So, you know, yields lower, people want out and that comes out of the dollar. So it's selling dollars as well. Um, I think that that trend is sturdy. The most, the, the reason I have the most confidence in it being sturdy is because there are two central banks at the top um, that kind of threw their mark down in the sand. And then we had sentiment and technicals crash down behind it. Really, really convincing stuff though. Like not the kind of stuff that looks like it can turn around anytime soon. I know that it can, and I'm not a terminal dollar bear. I'm not a non-reserve guy. Um, I've heard that argument a thousand times. I agree with um, Brent Donnelly, who made some great arguments on, I didn't even realize how often the de-dollarization thing comes up. And when you hear it, after being in the business for this long, you're like, all right, I'll think about it. Like, you know, it seems like it's something, right? And what's different this time? And, you know, when you look at the, you know, reserves that trade around the world, I mean, it's like 60% plus or dollars and you can't even make a dent in that wave. Um, you know, I don't care how many commodity markets you start. If you're trading in small amount of currencies, um, you know, without the ma massive flows, then you're never going to be a, a um, you know, reserve currency yourself. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, I'm just bearish. Technically, I think the price can go down. You know, I don't think that it's going away or anything like that. So cheers, Manas Agarwal. IR Impossible. I think I see tools of Titans in the background. Yeah, IR Impossible. Uh, man, put it this way. I, I skimmed through a lot of that book Tim Ferriss and I got frustrated with him on like, I just felt like if you want to help people, help them by not flogging yourself with a 4,000 page book that, you know, is, is way too much for anybody to go through. Now, not to say that it's not valuable, but I, I was, I, I didn't go through the whole thing. I, I, you know, treated it like kind of a, a textbook and pigeonhole, uh, excuse me, wrong, wrong, wrong metaphor cherry picked things that I wanted to read about and really found them insightful and enjoyable. But the same thing, that is a four hour movie that could have been two. Um, 
Let's see. I like that you can see that uh, what's in my background there. I hope there's nothing incriminating. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Van Halen rocks, SS, they do still. Thoughts on the future of the petrodollar? Yeah, we just kind of went through that retrospect. I don't think it's uh, may not go anywhere. It probably, you know, it may lend a weakish tone for quite a while. It may cause people to sell it. Um, it may cause the amount of uh, transactions that take place in dollars go down a little bit, but I, I don't think that um, you're going to see these smaller currencies in, in the immediate term anyway, break in to have an effect in anything that's going to affect my day-to-day -day trading, if that's fair to say. that That's really an important uh, discriminating line for me. Um, how many of the AI adjustments be on the inventories tomorrow? The AEIA adjustments, I, I don't know, man. You know, you take the numbers on face value, and then you look at the reaction more importantly, and you see how people are positioned, and you throw that into the pile with everything else. You can't live and die by uh, those numbers. Scott, you're strictly bearded by Caleb Reese. Great question. Do enjoy um, a couple of different scotches. I like Johnny Walker. I'm not a fancy scotch guy, but I do like Johnny Walker Black um, on the rocks as a holiday drink. Um, that stuff makes me fat, so I try not to drink too much of it. It also makes me pretty wasted, so I don't drink it that often. And um, that's it, though. I, I do like to go out, and that's kind of a festive thing with me when I'm dressed up and drinking out of a glass like an adult. I don't mind a nice scotch, sure. Doug Morley, what does Tony do to blow off stress? Um, man, I, I, I keep moving. I, I walk my dog uh, a lot around on the beach, so it's not just like, you know, kind of soft walk. I mean, you know, go two miles or so in the sand with your dog, chase him around a little bit, and uh, you've got a good workout there. Um, I spend a lot of time in the summer on my bike and in the water and playing hoops out on the court on the side of my house here. And, man, there's a lot of stuff going on, so it's usually just staying in motion. Uh, playing my guitar also is something that I really love doing. Usually that's at night and uh, one of my favorite analog things to do. Um, and that's it. <laughs> Daryl Densmore, first concert. First concert, Daryl Densmore, Real Vision Finance. Um, proud to say that that was Barry Manilow that my mom took me to. And it was definitely in the, I, she's definitely in the 70s, probably by the time I was 11 or 12, because we were with my cousin. So yeah, that had to be like 78, 79 and Barry Manilow's heyday at Nassau Coliseum. And I, I'll say that at that age, like I loved it. I was like amazed at like for, totally taken by, by even that type of music and just seeing the first person live and getting some scale. Um, I got addicted to that feeling pretty quick and continued to go track down everybody else that I like to see. Favorite concert? You know, I was just thinking about it and I'm, I'm a, all right. So I'm on a little bit. I was going back over how much I liked Fare Thee Well at Soldier Field in Chicago, um, just in terms of how like meaningful that was to be there for it. Because um, obviously this came out in a conversation and when I think about things that I'm really glad I got to, it turns out that it's things like that. And so I'm trying to keep that in mind and make sure that I get to, you know, some of the historic stuff and um, paying closer attention to, to kind of things like I like traveling to shows. Those are usually usually when you have your best experience because you're like it's like a destination wedding, right? It like takes people out of their atmosphere and makes them focus on the music, the party, you know, the meal, the recovery and getting home, you know, and so it's got a, a beginning and an end to it. And those are the best storylines for me. Uh, Jonathan Ventura question. What do you think of Martin Armstrong economic Socrates prediction of international war? Wow. <laughs> Sounds highly probable more and more every day goes by, doesn't it? Manilo, pure gold, Pueblo beef com, right? Uh, yeah, I was 11 in the 70s. Absolutely. Um, yeah, freakish youth. I've been, I've, I've gotten that uh, comment before. One of the guys I worked with, a uh, younger guy, said, "You have absolutely freakish youth qualities, and you should use that to your advantage one day." So, if I ever come up with a good reason how, I will. Can you play guitar for this one time or show us a tape of you playing? Oh yeah, I can come up with something like that. No, I'm not going to go grab my guitar now. I don't feel like it. Um, I'm still a chord banger and a total for fun hacker player, and I clam up in front of any kind of crowd 
camera or anything. Like I have to be playing alone so I can take a video of myself and I eventually will do that and just post it up somewhere. Um, cause I can play some stuff that sounds really like the original, you know, and, and, uh, I have fun with that. Um, but literally if I have to, I, I had to do like, for example, like I, I played a song with my cousin for my sister-in-law's wedding years ago at their wedding party at the, you know, one of their wedding party parties. And I practiced it. It's like five or six chords is a Van Morrison song. Couldn't have been easier into the mystic. I mean, literally like a, a third grade level guitar song and got to the thing and literally totally blanked on how to play it and had to like go back to my source and look up each chord as to how I was going to play this into that. And I like had to refresh myself because I got so nervous about playing in front of it. And it was a room full of family. It was like 50 family members and friends that I knew. So that's how not fit for stage I am on the guitar, but I am comfortable and will put something together at one point. I usually, my favorite to pick up is my, um, double D is, uh, Definitely my Gibson, my Gibson Les Paul custom 2001, um, total hot rod of a guitar. Um, I have my Marshall amp is actually on the fritz right now, but it sounds amazing through anything and even better through um, headphones, through a PV blazer that I played that um, you plug your headphones right into. And that's cool because you can just hear it yourself and you don't have to, you know, blast it around the house. But I did absolutely love when I was last time I was in Nashville, I played uh, an unbelievable like 1950s, um, what is it, throwback, you know, carbon copy of those um, Gibson guitars, Gibson Les Paul. And it was literally like, you know, you shake picking the thing up because it's like a $15,000 item. It's got, you know, the Murphy lab scratches on it so that it looks real and everything like that. And you plug that some bitch into a Murph Marshall stack and man, you are instantly slash. Like it is unbelievable how good it sounds and how powerful that is. So we're going to be more guitar stuff. I love that you guys are interested back to commodities. Do you follow any Royal outfits? No. Uh, what advice would you give to young people who might feel like they missed a chance to catapult? Well, not having assets going into 21. Well, that's totally fair. And I, I, man, that's a tough one. You know, the, you know, you can train yourself how to, how to take risk and, and be good at risk. And, and over time, you know, you'll see how trades look bigger in front of you. And then you can, you know, put some money behind and, and risk some money on things, right? There's way to lever ways to lever that. And there's ways to look at that. But I think that that's going to be the way to go for the next generation, right? I mean, you had a chance to get on, not you, me, everybody that, that, that trades anything had a chance to jump on that Bitcoin rally, you know, from 10K to 80K and, and that went on for a year and a half and could have jumped in at any time in size and made money. And, you know, that was a great uh, example of like the trading game taking place in real life. We're like, here, here's a ticker symbol. Everybody, go ahead, go after it. Let's see what happens. And and obviously, for the, for whatever reasons, right or wrong, everybody came after it and, and had its bubble moment. But um, that was really cool to at least see that you know I saw guys that you know had just gotten out of college become millionaires on that move. And I, I got a feeling that that is kind of a way, the sign of things to come is that you know you're going to have to figure out how to be sitting in a chair paying close attention when AMC goes berserk you know, and be able to trade something like that to, to figure it out. Or you can keep stacking your chips in a much slower fashion, um, you know, and, and do the Felix Zuloff type of trades and invest in salmon eateries and things like that. Osglitch, go for a coffee instead. I like Steve Foote, Real Vision. Do you maintain regular trading hours? That's a good question um, because no... I, you know, there, I do have a regular schedule, um, and I don't really, I mean, there are times, you know, going into weekends when I have a bigger position that needs to be managed and needs more attention, but I'm usually, as long as I'm around on opens and closes, most of the time, or like pretty much every day opens and closes, and then, you know, sitting in front of the screens, you know, a third or half of the week, you know, understanding price action is good, but I feel like stepping away from them 
has been beneficial for me in terms of just letting things breathe and think things out and think think about things where should be where things should be in your own head um you know when you come back to the screens or when you look at the screens you know the next monday morning and have things jump out at you that are different than your view you know and a lot you can only get to a point like that when you spend time away from the screens and not looking at them and away from the markets it's got to be something that uh you know, happens kind of a conversation you have with yourself organically. Um, and then you can weed out what really, what your gut is really wrestling with in trading conversations. Um, I took a break, a break from Joe Rogan to listen to Tony rant live. That is amazing. There is quite a rant going on here, isn't there? Books on how to learn technical analysis, Lasse Sakara. Um, man, books on technical analysis. Murphy's technical analysis is the only one I ever looked at. So you can get anything out of there. Um, really simple, great book. Um, D Gardner, I like that idea. Make a video and put it in aggregate. I have to do that. I, I should do that. I'm really, I'm so, I'm so camera shy when it comes to the guitar and like crowd shy and paranoid and it's terrible, but I will put something together because I have, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna sneak a recording of myself because if I don't know that I'm recording myself, it'll go fine. But as soon as I hit the record button, I will start hacking notes up left and right. I know it. Um, do I ever go against your gut? Man, that's a great trading question. Mark Wells. Oh, man. Do you ever go against your gut? Let me think about that. No, I don't think I go against my gut. I think that it's important for you to not play mental tricks on yourself, right? That's like a double negative going against your gut, right? Your gut is the thing that you got to rely on that tells you, no, 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 this is, you got to get into this, right? Like the, the point of sale moment is your gut or no, 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 you better get out of this before it gets worse, right? The ejector seat moment happens from your gut. Like, no, I got to be out, right? Because if it's happening from your nervous system, then it's too late already. Then you already lost, right? If it's your nervous system forcing you out of something, then you're then you're cooked already and I can't help you there. Your gut is what gets you out of something before you fry. And your gut is what takes something from a pile of money to a position in a security. That's a reasonable size position. So the gut is not something that you want to fade and have a mechanism where you say, oh, my gut says buy this. And then I just say, nah, right. Then I'll never know what to do. You know, you've developed, you spend your whole life trying to develop a set of clear signals and mechanisms and things that take the emotion out of trading and make it really binary and uh, simplify it as much as you can. And so using your gut to your advantage is something you have to have on your side. So no, don't play tricks on your gut. That's a really great question though, Mark Wells. Um, outstanding. Manas Agarwal from India. How do you manage to keep emotions out when the trade isn't exactly going your way? Count the money is gone. Write the check. Write it mentally, whatever you got to do. Write the number down on a piece of paper, how much money you lost on that trade. Um, that That's the way to make it happen. Right. It, you, that's the way to say the, mo the emotion can't be there. Right. It's got to be this risk reward on this trade. I'm risking one to make four. I'm risking two to make five, you know, and I can do that within the limits of my account and within the limits of leverage and within the limits of sanity and risk management principles. And that's what we're trying to do. So if you do that and allow emotions to constantly get involved, you're going to fry yourself before, you know, that's, like I said, your nervous system taking over. And when the nervous system takes over, it's, it's you're already done. So managing the emotions is sort of, you know, learning actually to anticipate markets and make decisions based on, you know, the stars lining up in your brain and having, you know, the, the all important conversation with yourself, right? Like kind of how am I going to feel if I stay in this slash or get out of this, you know, like how am I going to feel? How am I going to feel if I miss this, right? That's a good way to get yourself into a trade is ask yourself how you're going to feel if you miss it. Will you live with yourself if you miss that one? So 
let's see what do we got here. Commercial real estate, I have no idea. I stay in my lanes, Travis Haynes. Um, you like see what I did there? Um, there's a serious systemic problem there, and it is most likely to be the catalyst for the Fed to pivot. And Travis, let me tell you something. If you and I, unless you're a commercial real estate expert, if you and I have heard all about the commercial real estate problem that the world is sucking wind on, I'm going to guess that in three minutes, six months from now, we probably won't be hearing about it so much again, and it'll probably crawl back under the rock that it came from, and it probably won't, you know, cause any systemic damage to the markets until it does one day, I understand. But my point is that we have been hearing about this for years and these waves in and out. And so I heard, you know, I'm sure that the financing is dire and I'm sure that it looks terrible. And I'm sure that the Fed will point their bazooka at that at one day too and sop up whatever mess it blows out onto the street and we'll figure it out from there. CMT technician, um, does it have respect in the industry? Jay Michael, good question. I respect people with a CMT. You know, you had to put your study cap on and get through a set of standardized tests to get one. So I do credit those people even with, you know, more knowledge of technicals than I have, you know, um, without a doubt. Do I trust their system more than I trust my system? No. Would I listen to them over my decision? No. But I do think that they're trained very well to do that kind of job technically. So I do respect that. And I think it's probably worth getting maybe if it's, um, you know, especially for, for guys that don't have the years and years of experience on a trading desk or aren't going to get that, you know, seeing institutional flows go by, you know, your whole career and understanding what makes those, what drives those and what makes them sort of land on the desk and things like that. Um, so I guess there's a lot to think about there, but I'm saying, you know, if you can't get that type of experience, then, you know, getting a CMT or some other license, like standardized license that sets you apart from your peers a little bit at a higher edu at a higher, you know, educational level. And I think it's great. Absolutely. Yes, summer spike coming. Jordan DeJuice, I'm feeling you, man. I'm feeling you. Well. I think we're getting toward the end here. Unless anybody has any more questions, there is a, um, oh, here we go. There's another couple of questions. Yeah, I do think there's a summer gas spike coming. You know, Jordan, that depends on if we get, if uh, Mother Nature cooperates with hotter than normal weather. Um, because other than that, there's plenty of supply around here. I'm sure Europe is well stocked after that fiasco last winter. So I think so. Will commodities follow the two-year note down? Uh, could do, could do. That's the way the trend is going. You know, deflationary, deflationary, weaker commodity prices. The one thing that's different this time is that there is a vicious attack on supply, right? Um, you know, Joe Biden is going to Saudi Arabia to ask for more production. He's not allowing the U.S. to pump any more barrels. You know, the whole thing about canceling the leases and then opening a lease in Alaska, you know, the U.S. energy policy is a shit show right now. So we'll see what happens. Um, what is the best market wizards book? The first one by Jack Schwager is I read both of them. The first one was better and awesome. I think you can't miss that. Um, yeah, smash the like button, gang. Smash the like button. Nikos! Nikos is my man, always in my corner. Um, I respect that, Nikos. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah, but we're going to close it up here. I'm going to go have some dinner and finish off the rest of the six-pack, which I have on ice right here, ready to go. And uh, if there are no one, Travis Haynes, cheers, mate. Jay Michael, cheers. Tyler Jackson, uh, how do you decide? Right, last question, Tyler Jackson, how do you decide if you should average down old positions or just open new ones? Average down all positions is trading the same security. Opening new ones is trading a different security, right? So one is a different trade and one is, they're totally different trades. I mean, one, you're already in a trade doing badly, looking to play offense, not a particularly great move. And opening a new one is a got a brand new world, right? A first dollar into a security. There's a lot to talk about there. You would like the navigator, my man, Tyler Jackson. Um, thank you, Manas from India for tuning in. God bless my friend. You guys are absolutely awesome. Steve Ligore, great. Joe, I appreciate you for tuning in and everybody else that tuned in. Cheers.
we're going to wrap up. My dog just came in. Beckham knows that that's the end of Real Vision Happy Hour um, and that it's time for him to eat. So we're going to go right now. Cheers, everyone. Thank you for the great questions. Uh, you can find me at TG Macro on Twitter. You can find me at tgmacro.com online. And you can DM me on Twitter and I'll try to uh, respond accordingly. But thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, Real Vision, for hosting a great happy hour. That was delicious. And um, let me know what else I can do to help people figure out these utterly complex and technically difficult markets. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.